This is actually a good precursor into what we're, uh, what we're talking about today. Oh, this was the other part. We didn't even talk about this, did we? The Provo Tabernacle. This was the Provo Tabernacle. I remember uh, Cindy and I used to take our kids there for a state conference and listen to uh, Elder Nelson when he was not Elder Nelson doing a fireside, you know, as a regional representative. And I uh, loved that. And then, of course, the tragedy of uh, when, it, when it burned. When we were in uh, Provo in August, we made a point of driving over and it was just sad. It tore our heart out. Uh, but that's what it's about to look like. How did you take that shot? <laughs> I jumped. <laughs> but that, that's what that's going to look like. So there was some sense that everybody knew the church was buying property around uh, the tabernacle for the last couple of weeks. So this was actually not a huge surprise, but it is surprising to be two in the same temple in, in the same town in Provo. It's amazing. Okay, that's it. All right, let's turn to Third Nephi one because it's about it's about time. We get uh, verse 1, 90 in first year it passed away. Uh, Laconius is the chief judge and the governor. Uh, verse 2, what happens to Nephi? Great Nephi in the garden and all that. He's gone. And can I, can I address the speculation that's sometimes out there? Um, it, it's interesting to me that he then becomes uh, he's translated or he, at least he disappears off the face of the earth uh, and uh, you don't see his brother either and uh, by the way Samuel never comes back and there's been some speculation out there that uh, the three, the, the three uh, wise men that show up in Jerusalem <laughs> may, may have been because the Leahona disappears too you know See the Leah moment. So that, that's been. Do you want speculation for the day? There it is. <laughs> Helaman calls them why angels appeared to wise men, by the way, and he returned to the land of his nativity. I mean, there's little. Anyway. Anyway, he departed out of the land. Whither he went, no man knoweth. Um, okay. Verse 5, there's some that begin to say the time was past, spoken by the, the Lamanites, by Samuel the Lamanites. And, and as always, they began, verse 6, they began to rejoice over their brethren, saying the time has passed, the words of Samuel are not fulfilled, therefore your joy and your faith in this thing is vain. Now, it came to pass that they did make a great uproar through the land, and the people who believed were what? Sorrowful. Now, let's put this in context, can we? I, I need you to see what really is going on. You've got those that believe and they believe deeply. And now they know it's five years. We're really close here. We're really close. When it, what would they be doing if they're watching? When would they be watching? At night. So can you imagine every night these people are going out into like their front yard or out into their garden or something and they're watching the sun go down going, maybe tonight's the night. Maybe this is it. And then what? Then it gets dark. No, it's not tonight. And then the next night they go out and it's like, oh, I got dark. And maybe, I don't know. And then the next night, oh, it got dark again. And then you've got the next door neighbor going, <laughs> what are you thinking? And then the, the next night, and it gets dark again. And then, how would you do if they said, and by the way, um, so who was it that prophesied this? Samuel. Samuel. 
So, have you talked to him lately? No, where's Samuel? He never came back. <laughs> right? But at least you've got Nephi. Where's Nephi? He left. Oh. <laughs> His son's still here, yeah. Wow. So the people that prophesied are nowhere to be seen, and every night it gets dark. What kind of idiots are you? <laughs> and then they up the stakes, right? <coughs> then they up the stakes. Verse 9, And it came to pass that there was a day set apart by the unbelievers that those who believed in the tradition should be put to death except the sign come to pass. Why? Why would they... I mean, it's one thing to say... We, crazy people are believing in this stuff, why would they put them to death? I feel that Satan just poking at them. No question, but what logic would they use? Who do we know, generally, if you're going to get put to death in Nephite society, what do you get put to death for? Treason. Because you're going to overthrow the government or you're going to take away the freedom of other people. So what are they accusing these people of, most likely? Treason. Yeah. There's something going on. There's a conspiracy here going on where you're going to somehow take over our government. We don't know what it is. So now think about the discussion that happens over the back fence in Nephiteville. <laughs> so what happened when that all got dark again? Okay. Where's Nephi? Oh, can't find him. How about Samuel? Nowhere to be found. Your kids are going to die. You're going to be killed over this. How dumb is that? And then that night, knowing that there's a day coming up, you go out and you pray and you pray and you pray and you watch the sun and you watch the sun and it goes down and what happens? It gets dark again. I have to think sorrowful is a pretty mild word. What word fits more likely? Frightened. Frightened. Terrified. Anxious. And Joseph Smith said that if that to the brethren, and it, it really applies to the rest of us, that he said, if you join this church, the Lord will wrench your very heartstrings. I can't even imagine what it must have been like to say I'm staking the life of my family on the fact that one of these days it's not going to get dark. And the prophets are nowhere to be found. Now, let me, let me ask you. Let's hop up here. Um, verse 8. Somebody read verse 8. Who's got that? But behold, they did watch steadfastly. Okay, now, they did watch... Now, I want you to think about that word. They're, they're, they're watching steadfast. What does steadfast look like? What's steadfast? In earnest. And earnest? Constant. If you're going to tie something down steadfast, I mean, it's tight, right? They're watching steadfastly that sun going down. You see them watching, watching, watching. <coughs> Got there. Okay. Isn't that the real deal? They were watching steadfastly for what? To know that their faith had not been in vain. Now, let, let me tie it to one more here. Um, 
Somebody hop over to uh, Ether 12, 4. Ether 12 is that great, great one. Got it? It's just stretch, stretching. Real quick. Okay, fire away. Back to conference a minute, too, because it's interesting because we, we flipped through a few pages here, but it's 30 years they were waiting. Yeah. That's a long time. 30 years. I'm poor. I mean, you know. They're waiting, waiting, and then they get the sub, then from Samuel, they go, okay, now we're five years out. Right? So they're getting these markers. You're right. You know he's kind of coming, hey, it's in five years. So it's interesting when we actually get down to it. Now it's five years. Now it's real. It's still a long time. Oh, it's, it, it's, you, you know, I've got, uh, got a, an email from uh, my daughter last night. Uh, her her husband, or my son-in-law's been in, uh, he's, a, he's a doctor, he's been in Afghanistan. Uh, he's been there for six months. Well, we know that he's about to come home in the next couple <coughs> weeks. And now the waiting is harder for her. Because it's like she's been, holding in and hanging in. Now she's about to find out and it's, and, it's, and it's closer. But it's actually, she says it's actually making it harder now as she gets closer to that time. Okay? But, but I, uh, the part I want to finish though is conference and made that clear to the youth that it's not time yet. You can go on a mission. You can get married simple. Go get your degree. I mean, Elder Holland and Elder Packer will talk quite a bit about that. Yeah, in fact, you may, and you may have grandkids. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, it's, it's time is not. Uh, I love the, the Tribune said a Mormon apostle says the end is not near <laughs> was, the, was the way that they took that it's like live your life and, and the brethren who wasn't uh, Wilford Woodruff but said we're still planting cherry trees you know as opposed to planning on going back to Missouri yeah and, and waiting we're seeing all the signs and it's getting closer and closer and in some cases it gets closer it's harder it's harder to win. Okay? Who's got Ether 4? Okay? Thanks. Are you on a 412 or? 124. Uh, 124, I've got that. Good. Wherefore, whoso believeth in God, my maturity, hope for a better world. Yea, even a place at the right hand of God, which hope cometh of faith. Okay, now listen to the next phrase. Because when I think steadfast, here's the one that I want to tie this together. Not just steadfast, but what? Uh, maketh an anchor to the souls of men. Ooh, isn't that a great term? Steadfast, and if you have this, then it maketh an anchor for your souls. Okay, and? Which would make them sure and steadfast. Always abounding in good works, being led to glorify God. Okay, now. So here's the challenge. We go, okay, we're not there. It's not us waiting for the Lord to show up. We're not looking out our back window, watching the sun go down, wondering if tonight's the night. But we have to be steadfast, and the Lord is going to challenge us on the thing that is going to affect us the most. So here's my question. Of all the things in your life, what would be your greatest challenge? If the Lord was going to give you a challenge where you're about to find out how steadfast you are and whether you're anchored, what could the Lord go after you at? You know, or what could the world have? Or what could happen to you that would give you knowledge about whether you're steadfast or not? Where could you be most challenged? This is, this is going to be kind of an individual thing. Yep? I was just challenged with some uh, physical uh, problems like with my testimony with Yeah. Sometimes it's our physical stuff. Especially if, if our hope and our belief was, you know what, when I have my health. Okay, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have my health. Okay? How about uh, one, one that I, I end up hearing is, you know what, whatever else is going on in my life, at least I'm happily married. And then I'm not. And then I get challenged. And it wrenches me to my very heartstrings. I don't know what, what, where the Lord is going to... But the Lord is going to give you an opportunity. What was it for Abraham? How was the Lord going to wrench Abraham? To find out how steadfast and anchored he was. 
He's got to sacrifice Isaac. And I remember it was uh, Truman Madsen saying to uh, Hugh B. Brown, why? You know, when the blessings of Abraham was seen, why would he have him sacrifice Isaac? And, and President uh, Brown's just classic response, Abraham had to learn something about Abraham. <coughs> you need to know how steadfastly you're anchored. You do. Otherwise, when the winds come along, now when, think about the term anchor. Can you picture, picture for just a minute, if you've got, if you've got a ship and you've got, and it's anchored, and so now it's in there, and then here comes the storm, and it's just battering this ship all over the place, and you're hoping that the anchor holds. Hoping that the anchor won't pull loose and then just blow you all over the place. How deep's your anchor? What are you anchored in? And what could come along that might really challenge you in terms of your steadfastness? Because you could say, well, I'm very steadfast, thank you. I could never lose my testimony. Could you? Yeah, if you're not, if you're not there. Yeah. Another way of looking at that is your ship tied up a dish. Yeah, I like that. Uh, and uh, Mike Wilcox does a good job of saying how many times that, uh, let me take it one, one step farther, that, that idea of the, sh the ship being tied like a dish, okay, the ark was also tied like a dish. And, and remember that it was covered over so that the water wouldn't leak through the boards kind of thing. That covering that covered the ark as it did with that, that is, the word is kafar. In Hebrew it's kafar. Meaning atonement. That's where the word atonement comes from. It comes from the word that is used to protect the ark and not let the water in. It's kafar. And it's the same thing as Yom Kippur. It's the same, the, the Day of Atonement. It's the same K, anyway. We're going into that, but that's a covering. It's a protection to make sure that we don't sink. Yeah. Struggle is going to be knowing. Let me tell you, at any given time, 
when I hear things, my brain percolates on stuff when I drive Cindy nuts. And, um, here's the one I'm percolating on at the moment that I don't have a complete handle on. You guys get an insight on it, email me, let me know what you come up with. President Irene on Saturday night said something very profound, I thought. Uh, and it wasn't that different, but it was, uh, but it opened up some, some doors for me. And, and what he said was, he said that you have to find a way uh, to unlock uh, your pre-more, you, no, the knowledge that's, you have to find a way to unlock the knowledge that's in, the, in there from your pre-mortal life, basically. And the thought occurred to me, that's not, to me, I've always come to understand that, that knowledge is there about the gospel and we never learn the gospel for the first time in this life. We always relearn. The gift of the Spirit is to unlock that door and let our pre-mortal knowledge step up. Where I, where I begin to it begin to hit me though, the one part I'm still chewing on here, and I don't have a complete answer on this, is I have problems in my life. Did I know before this life what those problems would be and what the answer would be to how to solve them. In other words, is the answer to my personal problems in me. And I have to find a way to unlock the, the, the knowledge that either Heavenly Father put there or that I saw what was coming or my understanding is the answer to my problems in me. And, in, and my prayers need to be somewhere along the line of Heavenly Father, help me to know what I know. Help me to unlock what I already know. The answers aren't there. The spirit is there and the answers are here. Which is a weird concept. Yeah. I, I can give you my answer. Please. What I did was I tried to imagine watching the events around the um, crucifixion of the Savior from the perspective of the spirit world. I was in the spirit world watching the events. And, the and probably not out of the question that that might have happened. Might have the, thing that, the thing that opened up to me, which has been the key to a lot of things, because I, I go back to that and then go from there. But it was really hard for me. I, I just spent 22 years in the defense industry in the, on the operational side. The thing I, the thing I knew going in was that it was very hard for me not to end the crucifixion of the Savior. When he said, there are legions, I can call them, I was one. Uh, half gone. And so many times in the defense industry, you have to do the right thing, and you have to sometimes allow suffering, and I would go back to that, and that's where I got my peace. Thank you. I, I, see, I think at the end of the day here, uh, and, and then and we need to move on, um, I just think this whole concept that says, if we're going to be steadfast, what anchors us? And can we trust that the anchors are there? Can we trust that our spiritual depth is there to help us weather the storms that are going to come on? And what if the answers are in us in order to have how to do that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you Okay. Uh, I think one of the things that, that concerns me is when I hear about the elect will even fall away. And I wonder about little old me, you know, they're going to fall away. How am I going to hold on? Yes. Thank you for that. And uh, in Nauvoo, about how many saints did we have in Nauvoo? 20, we think about 20,000. Okay. In Nauvoo and surrounding about 20,000. About how many made it to Salt Lake? About somewhere between, I think, around eight. Something like about 8,000, I think. How many saints did we leave behind? See, this is why President Holland talks about the terror. He calls it the terrible arithmetic of the, uh, the parable of the ten virgins. Because they're all, they're all members of the church. They all know he's coming. The terrible arithmetic that only 50% are ready. That's frightening. And it certainly bore out in the trek west. 
will it bear out in our lives? Where we're going to see people that we love just find out that they're not anchored very well and we can get hit by storms. I think we're already seeing that. If you want to, if you want to know how, how real that is, take a look at our youth. Take a look at our youth and see how many kids were deacons and active, and then watch teachers, and then watch priests, and then how many go on missions, and and watch how many were bleeding youth, and were bleeding parents. Don't even get me going on single adults. Yeah. Okay, so I'm 29 again. For those of you who know who I am, you don't believe it, but I am 29 again. Lovely. Even though I'm now younger than my sister, who's quite a bit younger than me. My my main teacher taught a lesson, and she said, of the, of, there were 10 girls in my my main class. This is in in Plano Third Ward. You would not believe this, girls, but in this room, the statistics show that four or five out of the group of you will not be members of the church in 20 years. And we looked around, and we were all so strong, and we all had yeah. to and we were like, no way! There's not a single person in this room that would ever, ever leave the church. Of that room, there are three who are still active. Well, it's coming. The, the, the storms are coming. Yeah. Well, the thing that I found interesting, I would see these reports when I was working, and of the church membership, 50% are endowed. 50% of that 50% full recommends. And then you would see the numbers coming to, we, we, we'd schedule on Friday nights four wards to come do sessions. We'd fill a room, but it would be four wards. To, to, to fill one room. Yeah, so, so the idea is, if you, if you look at, let, let, let me finish with this and then, then we'll move on. Um, you can see why we don't get through very much of this, you know, there's so much meat here. Um, and I heard this at, at conference, Psalm 30, uh, verse 5. You don't have to go there, let me just read it. Um, for his anger endureth but for a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Think about the storms that come at night and we wake up in the morning and you see what trees are down, but we're still standing. And I, I just love that. Okay. Oh, okay. Let's see. Prison Iron. You and I struggle to bring down the powers of heaven. You may not think it about it much, but sometimes you do. You go along on your own and then suddenly that's not enough. Something dramatic may happen, like having a friend or family member who needs a blessing. Or perhaps something dramatic doesn't happen. You realize that you've been teaching a class or visiting the people you've been assigned to in your care with no visible effect. That may make you doubt yourself or the person who called you or, either whether, or even whether you have the power to reach God. I just think our tests and challenges that test our steadfastness come in waves like this, sometimes very subtly. Okay, so the principle, are you steadfastly anchored? That's the one you want to, that's the question I think you need to be asking. Are you steadfastly anchored? And how steadfastly anchored and what storm could come along that might challenge you the most? Okay. Now let's hop over uh, to 3 Nephi 3. Because we know what happened there. We all understand that the Savior does come. There is that day and that night and that day. And then things get more righteous for a while. And then they get Nephi-itis. And then they get more wicked. And then they get more and more wicked. Um, and then we get this wonderful moment. Uh, I always love, uh, I don't know how many of you ever watched like a, a James Bond movie. But in those kind of movies, you always get like the bad dad, the really bad guy. And he's always going to bring James Bond in. And he's going to go, Mr. Bond, have a seat. I'm going to have to kill you shortly. But before we do, let's have a meal. You know, and it's such a shame because you are such a great competitor. 
but I'm going to kill you. How are you? How's the family? How's it? You know, it's like this, this kind of a cordial kind of thing, and I'm so much better, and, you know, I'm going to be controlling the world, and it will be wonderful, and then they will all be mine. <laughs> and then I will have to kill you. Okay? Well, you sort of get that with Laconius, uh, 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 you know, because Laconius gets, gets this letter from the bad baddie, from the head of the Gadian. It was like, oh, I'm writing your epistle. Um, your noble spirit in the field of battle, verse 5 and 6, I write unto you, desire you yield up, uh, yield up unto this, unto this my people, your cities, your lands, your possessions. Rather we not visit with you a sword and destruction to come upon you. Yield yourself. Join us. It will be wonderful. Okay? Become our brother and not our slave, but our brother and partner of our substance. Yeah, how's that going to work? If we're all robbers, who are we robbing? <laughs> Each other. And I love this. And be, verse 9. Behold, I am Gidgananai. I am the governor of this. The governor. See, I'm governor too. We're equals. It's like, I'm a governor of the secret society of Gandiatin, whose society works there. I know to be good. And their ancient date. They've been handed down to us. It's wonderful. Oh. And I write this. Uh, hope you'll deliver up your lands without the shedding of blood. Okay. Okay. Um, now, listen to Laconius. Um, and he's just amazed by this whole thing, kind of the audacity of just how... Now, listen to how he handles this. Because let me just let me just preface this. Because this ought to be an easy one. Because we're always looking to say, okay, what does this mean to us? Where's the application to us, to modern day? Do we have people out there that would really like to destroy us? Yeah? People that would really like to take us over who are going to very kindly say, don't worry about that church stuff. What are you thinking? Nuts. You know, you know what happens when they follow prophets. Do I need to bring up Waco or, you know, or Jim Jones or whatever? Just crazy people. Don't do that. I love you. Drop that stuff. Have a drink. Okay? So here, all of this stuff is coming. And it's just going to sound kind of sweet and reasonable and logical. It's not reasonable that you have a prophet. You don't drink tea. How dumb is that? I don't think the Lord cares how many earrings you have. You know? So it's just, we're just trying to be reasonable. We're trying to fit into the... Uh, into the, the world so you don't look weird. You know, I was talking to uh, my bishop who, when he went to a, uh, I should have mentioned this before, but I think it fits with what we're dealing with. Uh, his son got married in Salt Lake Temple. They were getting their picture taken, you know, in the front of the temple, the way you're supposed to and all that, and, you know, the wedding party and everything. The wedding party behind them, here comes the whole wedding party, and they're all dressed in their wedding gown and bridesmaids' dresses, and they're all shoulders. Um, you know, it's like, so they went, they went through the temple, they got dressed into these dresses and walked through the temple wearing these, like, you know. But that's reason, that's what the world, you know, if you look in the Brides magazines, those are the cute ones, right? Okay? So, is this reasonable thing? Now, listen to how Laconius handles this. Because I want you to hear, we're about to be attacked. And this stuff is coming our way. Listen, now there's a whole series of things that he's going to do that are going to make the city protected. And are going to provide for the protection of these people so they're not overrun by the big bad baddie. Okay? Who's got, who's got verse 12? Stacy. Now behold, this is the Okay, let's stop there. So there's two parts. First of all, what do we know about Laconius? He's just. He's just, meaning? Righteous. righteous. He's, you know, he's a just man. Okay, now, because he's just, what's the second part of that? He's not frightened. 
I remember there was a time with uh, a general conference with uh, President McKay. And just before conference was going to start, uh, they handed President McKay a note and it said, uh, there's been a bomb threat, that the, a bomb's going to blow up during conference. And President McKay looked at it and thought for a second and he said, no it's not. <laughs> we move forward. Okay. Not frightened if you know who you are and what's going on and you know what the plan is. So first of all, they have a leader who's a, a righteous man and because of that, he's not frightened. Okay? Alright, Stacy, what comes next? Therefore, he did not hearken to the epistle of Gideonai, the governor of the robbers. Now, listen to what he does. Here's a just man. He's not afraid. But first of all, I, I listen to what he's going to do next. But he did cause that his should cry unto the Lord for strength against the time that the robbers should come down against them. Okay. So the next step is he's, he's going to do what? He's going to prepare the people by having them do what? Pray. I know it. Now I need you guys to notice they haven't done anything yet physically. Okay? First of all, let's get ourselves spiritually ready to know what to do. Yeah. Oh, I like, you guys hear that one? That's a good one, isn't that? Because wouldn't it have been, if it was us praying, wouldn't it be like, Lord, smite them down. You know, fry them. Make them dead. Now. Or, uh, you know, please bless us that we won't have to go through this. Make it go away. It is interesting. It says, okay, we're going to have to deal with this, but give us the strength to be able to do this. Beautiful point. And, and, and we don't do that in our prayer very often, do we? Make it gone. Make it go away. Make him, you know, remove the cancer. Remove, you know, change his heart. Um, we want him to fix it. Rather than say, if this is what needs to happen, help me know what to do to solve this problem. Okay? Great point. Okay? Alright. Let's see. Stacy, let's keep on going here. Yeah. 
Yeah, the ability to partake of the, of the ordinances has to come as, as we gather. We're not going to do that sitting in a boat in a lake. You know, number one. And then the other one, we're, we're, we have to gather. Okay? And I, and I know, some of you go, well, I don't really like to gather with the people I'm supposed to gather with. <laughs> Whenever I have youth coming in, I'll say, so tell me about your priest corps. You know who's in my priest corps, you know? You know, I'm the only athletic one and the rest of them are all nerds, man. I but that, that's another thing, though. Sometimes it's pride. You know, we've had so many, um, so many things like floods and, I mean, hurricanes and kind of things come through. And there's these people that say, oh, no, I'm not going to go away because I can handle this. I've been through these things you know, many times before, so I'm just going to stay in my home, or, you know, and then the problem is it becomes harder to help those people later if they make it. Because they won't gather. Because they, yeah, because they won't. See, I've always, I wonder what would happen if we did finally get the call to Missouri. Right. <laughs> and by the way, I don't know whether we really will or not. I mean, uh, we have stakes, we're probably fine, but let, let's say we were, we're supposed to somehow all gather to Missouri. How many people are going to be sitting around going, now i got a nice house. And, I, and, I, and I've got a pretty good year supply in, in here, and I've got my rifles and everything. Well, my kids are really young, and I'm not sure how we can do that at this point. Yeah, that is what doesn't make any sense. i got allergies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I go to Missouri. <laughs> okay? I just finished building my house. Okay? I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of the saints didn't make it to Salt Lake Valley. They just said, I'm not moving again, or I think I'll be fine. I can live... I can live the gospel here. But in this case, here comes, here comes the threat. And, and specifically, they're supposed to gather. There's strength in gathering. There's strength in unity. There's strength in a oneness of heart that creates a power that we don't get any other way. Yeah. Perhaps the same percentage just go to their temple. They're supposed to gather. To, oh, I didn't even think of that later. Yeah, I he says, but the same percentage probably goes to the temple. You know, I remember at one point as a bishop looking on, the, on, my, on my rolls, and we had like over a hundred people on the rolls of my ward that had a temple, that, had, that were endowed that had no current temple recommends. There's the other one. They've stood in the sacred places, and they're not going to sacred places. Okay? All right, so let's finish this one up, and then... And then we'll, we'll move ahead here. Okay. Alright, so they gathered together, verse 14, and he caused that what? Fortification should be built. You ever looked at the construction of the, of the Salt Lake Temple? You ever noticed the, the, the top part of the temple? What does it look like? Castle. It looks like a castle. Think that's an accident? No. It was supposed to be a battlement. It was supposed to be a place where the armies of the world would bounce off against this thing and inside would be safety. The temples are supposed to be places like that. They are a castle, you know, and with a spiritual moat around it. Okay? Um, you're going to build fortifications. Do we, do we build fortifications now? What do we call them? Not, that's inside here. For the strength of you. Is there in this in this area? Oh, this is this is Plano. Is there? Where is the main battlement? Where's the headquarters here? Stake Center. What's sitting in that Stake Center? The Stake of Zion. Remember, the tabernacle was built in the wilderness, and then they would take the tent pole and they would put it in each. Uh, here's you know Judah's tent pole. Here's Ephraim's tent pole. I mean, it's just like, and there it is. You're supposed to gather around that tent pole underneath the tent. And that tent protects you from what's going on out there. Okay? This is a stake of Zion. There's another one in Allen. Is there not? Another one in McKinney. I mean, we got tents all over the place here. Okay? These are fortifications. Now, if we gather inside those things, now we're going to have wards, and that's another... Foundation, and then our families are another one. We just kind of get these whole series of fortifications. Okay. 
but wait, there's more. Uh, the strength was going to be exceeding strength. He caused that the armies, both of the Nephites and Lamanites, uh, all of whom were numbered among the Nephites, should be what? So now we get guards. So we're going to gather. We have fortifications. And then we're going to put guards. Did we just hear from the guards? These are called the watchmen on the tower. And they're going to see, and it says that they see afar off. Oh, yeah, get your food supply. Uh, Elder uh, President Uchtdorf. Don't necessarily, this is from priesthood session. Don't always necessarily be looking to the church to solve anything. Put the priesthood to work in the area where you are. Rely on yourselves. Hold together. Solve their problems together. Don't be looking to solve life for everything. You got handbooks, use them. They were written by the guards. <laughs> okay. Did, by the way, did all these work? Yeah, they starved the they starved the robbers out. Okay, and then they were able to finally destroy it. So they could then destroy it, so then they can get real righteous. Because uh, the next chapter talks about how they were the righteous and they were everybody. Uh, uh, in fact. Just to set this up, uh, let's see. Um, guess it's in six. Verse 5, 3 Nephi 5. Listen to this. Yeah, 3 Nephi chapter 5. <laughs> this, this, is the, this is the language of, of Mormon. It, you know, just he kind of drooling here almost. Now behold, there was not a living soul among all the people of, of Nephi who did doubt in the least the words of all the holy prophets. For they knew that it must need to be fulfilled. And they knew it would be expedient. You know, he's just going on. And verse 3, they did forsake all their sins. Wow, and their abominations. They did serve God with all diligence. They're just all people, man. They're just doing it all. Um, and he just keeps going on how great these people were. And then within a short period of time, what happens? They fall away, it gets worse, and then finally now the government is destroyed, and they're, they're scattered, and then it's going to happen. Okay? I'm sorry. This was verse 5. I, I'm, I'm hopping around. 3 Nephi 5. Okay, so now, now the destruction comes. And this is it, and, and we get the destruction kind of in 3 Nephi 8. And then, just like in the prison with Nephi and Lehi, here's the darkness, and the voice starts speaking to them out of the darkness. Uh, and I wish we had time to really go into, kind of relive that symbolism. But I want you to notice something here. Somebody read verse 5 of chapter 9, if they would. Uh, verse 5 of verse 9. Uh, chapter, ver yes. Hold on. <laughs> Would you please read in 3 Nephi, chapter 9, verse 5. and the saints shall not come any more unto me against them. I want you to look at verse 7. What's the last line of verse 7? Exactly the same. 
Now I want you to look at the last line of verse 8. Everybody see a pattern? Yeah. Now look at the last line of verse 9. Now I want you to look at the last line of verse 11. If the Lord says it, pay attention. If He says it over and over, buckle up. Okay? Over and over and over. Now, there, there, in, there is in this, there are two layers here that we need to quickly look at in the time that we have remained. Two really important points. One I sort of get, one I know with all my heart. The one I sort of get that I'm still, another one of those things I'm chewing on. So what have we just heard over and over and over? Yeah, but what have they been doing with the prophets? Killing them and who else? Saints. Well, they're killing the prophets and the saints in each one of those cities. Okay? Now, I'm not sure, I, I, I'm sort of getting this, it's fascinating to me that he's going to go through all these cities and they're all destroyed because they're killing the prophets and they're killing the saints. Then, he's going to hop right into, uh, somebody read verse 19. Uh-huh. been talking about? The sacrifice of prophets and saints. And he's going to go right into that and say, now we're no longer doing the sacrifice by the shedding of blood. And he's going to go into the next verse, which is when we use the, when the last lesson, is talking about what I really need from you is the sacrifice of broken heart and contrite spirit. Why is he having this discussion in the middle of I wiped out all of these cities because they were sacrificing saints and prophets. Put those two together. Yeah, wheels are turning. Good. Yeah. Yes, it did. So the sacrifice of Gethsemane and everything has, has just happened. Okay. What does the sacrifice, don't do the sacrifices anymore, have to do with the blood of prophets and saints in each one of these cities that resulted in the city being destroyed? Okay, we'll walk it through for a second. Good, good point. One of the reasons why, this, why did the Savior have to shed His blood? To pay the price. To pay the price. For something that we couldn't do for him. So it was a sinless sacrifice. He, he didn't deserve any of it. But he was sacrificed anyway. As a result of that sacrifice. Then our sins were cleansed. Right? Okay. What about the prophets and saints? In the city of Moron, Haiba, and Jacobah. And all those kind of places. Sinless. Sinless, right? They're being sacrificed. And they were being sacrificed. Why? For the, to, to take care of their sins? to condemn their sins, right? So it's interesting that the Lord would choose this moment to say, you have sacrificed all of these people, prophets and saints, who were sacrificed only because they were righteous. Now, don't sacrifice blood anymore in, in the law of Moses because I fulfilled all of that. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the last one. Absolutely. Yeah. See, yeah. See. Well, that reminds me of what we were talking about um, previously. And um, there's a lot of witnesses where they died because they Don't you love the Don't you love the song, uh, Praise to the Man? You know that it's not in its original form, right? <laughs> Long until the blood which was shed by assassins stained Illinois. 
while the earth loves its thing. That was the original. And it wasn't until I think the time of President Kimball that they finally pulled up the board in Carthage that still had Irish blood on them. Okay? So, how many, the, the blood of how many prophets was slain in Carthage? Hiram, Joseph, John Taylor. Because he was bleeding, he was shot and bleeding, and he and his blood was, you know, that they put him back in the uh, in the back area of the Carthage jail. And if you've been there, that back cell, um, I reckon that room because I just Carthage Gothic, that back room, I thought about the pain and suffering of, of his, you know, he just watches his prophet. Friends die, and then he's back in there, and he's bleeding, his hip is just blown off, and all of that. And his blood soaked through, and they found it on the on the wood joists underneath, uh, all of that. We have blood of three prophets in there. There's that three number again that we, that we talked about that are witnesses that the blood of the prophets no longer come up unto me. That's what we're hearing here, okay? And, and in some ways, this sacrifice by the shedding of blood uh, that Adam did is, yep, it's the Savior. We're going to sacrifice on the altar because this is the Savior's going to do this. But who else did this? Who else provided the sinless sacrifice and shed the blood? The righteous. How many times in history have the righteous shed their blood? How many Christian martyrs? How about William Tyndale? You know, what about you know David W. Patton? I mean, we just... Yeah, on and on and on. How many times the, the, the righteous saints in uh, Ammonihah? You know, Peter, Paul, how many have shed their blood? And he says, no more. I don't want the shedding of blood anymore in, in here, but it's interesting, he's going to use that against, so it's, it's a foil in teaching. I'm going to talk about the shedding of blood and then bring this in. It's amazing. Okay? Alright, seven minutes. Here's the second part. Who's he talking to? Who is the boy speaking to? The righteous. In fact, he calls them the more righteous than those that were killed. So they're in the darkness. The voice is speaking to them and said, All these cities I have destroyed because they killed the prophets and the saints. So they're in the middle of all of that. Uh, but they're more righteous than who? <coughs> the wicked. But who were they hearing about that was slaughtered? The righteous. The righteous. Okay, now. Here to, me is the, here to me is the question. The people standing in Babylon who get to see the Savior, were they necessarily more righteous than those that were the, that were the prophets and saints that were killed in Moroniah, in Jacob? No. No. What decided then, how was it decided that they, some would be stoned and killed and some would get to see the miracle of the Savior come. How was that determined? That's the tough one. How many times when you're looking around in a ward, who determines who gets the stone and who gets the miracle? Because for every time that we can say in fast testimony meeting, I had cancer and I received a miracle and the Lord removed that cancer and I'm now cancer free, how many other people are sitting there and saying, for me there was no miracle? And I died. They died. Like, uh, um, um, uh, Yes. 
Exactly. That, that's a perfect example. Abinadi and the people of Ammonihah got no miracle. The, those three brethren did get a miracle. How is that, how is that determined? Could be, yeah. I guess it's individual. It says when the second coming comes, one will be standing, two will be standing at the mill, and one will be gone, and one will be there. I think it's individual what that person needs. Uh, President Benson said, if you want to know what the last days will look like, read Third Nephi. How many righteous saints may be living in this generation may end up having their bloodshed simply because they're righteous? What are the possibilities of that? They said it was in the in conference they mentioned that, and they said it was so that so that God can punish yes. the, the wicked. Sometimes that happens so that God can punish the wicked. So when we are righteous, does it necessarily does that necessarily tell us whether we're going to get the stone or the miracle? What's going, to be, what's going to determine that? I think sometimes our perspective of the stone is not God's perspective of the stone. <laughs> you hear that one? Our perspective of what a stone is may be different. Because we look at it and go, Stephen was stoned. And but the, the people that were killed, the prophets and the saints, they still witnessed Christ coming to the Nephites, but it was from the other side. And, which, and who's to know which one was the, was the greater blessing? I picture this moment in the, in, uh, after Paul's death. Who do you think maybe was waiting on Paul on the other side of the veil? Probably Stephen. <laughs> who was holding his coat, you know. Uh, you know. What a great moment. Okay, yeah. to do when we're, when we're getting the stone and not the miracle is that we want to really rack ourselves and go, it was me not being righteous enough, it was me not being good enough, uh, if I had just kept the commandments better uh, and it was the Lord knowing you know what, sometimes it's simply that some are going to get the stone and some are going to get the miracle but it doesn't necessarily mean that one was more righteous than the other. How do we know that death or and how do we know that the times that we're praying like crazy for someone with cancer to stay on this side of the veil and continue enduring pain is really in their best interest? Which is really easy. I mean, I've been on that with my mom. My mom died of cancer. and We weren't doing her any... You know, and at some point we had to say to my dad, let her go. Uh, I love my dad. I think he kept her on this side of the veil too long simply because of his incredible faith and everything. He wanted her here. We had to say to him, let her go. When he did, she left. It's our perspective. And sometimes we will get the stone. That's just what it is. Yeah. spare us from adversity and struggle. In fact, 
Sometimes it, it may, in some cases, bring on more of that because the world is going to see us as different. Well, when we talk about our Savior, it's not just our physical life, it's our spiritual life. Yeah. So it's a huge, I mean, it's all-encompassing. Yeah. One last one, Sometimes I'll receive a stone instead of a miracle. Simply because I'm righteous. And bearing my testimony that our righteousness will bring adversity. It will. And we just have to gird our minds and be prepared. And I don't know whether the Lord will bless you with a stone or a miracle. But you will be blessed either way. And you'll be protected in that. Because we have, in this church, you just watched it. We have, church, we have leaders who are fearless, who have a plan that they have established fortifications. They have, we have watchmen on the tower, and they want us to gather and be taught in all of that. When we do that, the Lord will, will bless us, whether it's the stone or the miracle. And I leave that with you, Jesus.